Hello everyone, Frank and Darren back again, Slaughterland Movie Podcast, with things you didn't know about the Halloween franchise. And this time, we are doing Halloween 2, the night Michael came home, or he came home, one of those subplots. <laughs> we'll go through it, it because a, there's many things about this movie. The nightmare continues, isn't it, or something like that? Whatever. There was, there was a few <laughs> There, there, there was, was a, a lot of things lines. wrong with the start of this movie, <laughs> including people getting sued. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that people on the production, um, Carpenter, Rick Rosenthal, Dean Cundy, uh, Erwin Yablans, Jamie Lee Curtis, all have such a low opinion of this film. And Men of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite like it. I think it's my favourite sequel. I think it's a lot of people's favourite sequels. When we did mm -hmm. the episode before about Halloween 2, we had people chiming in saying they actually prefer it to Halloween, the original Halloween. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when they were making this film, they hated the script. I think the production was pretty fraught because um, they were going in a few different directions and... Um, people had different ideas of how it should go. Rick Rosenthal wasn't really pulling it together very well, and he got kind of removed, and Carpenter came in to sort it all out. And, yeah, it's um, it was a messy old process. But at the end of it, I think we have quite a decent Halloween movie. I'll say. I like one, yeah. I like one scene in particular. Oh, we um, all know what that is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if you've been on this channel long enough. Uh, yeah, but the, the start of this... Uh, this production was was kind of a, a, a daunting task. I mean, uh, I mean, Yablans uh, was suing Carpenter, and Dean Cundy had the um, had the option of working with Spielberg, and well, I'm going to say Spielberg on uh, Poltergeist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He well, he he'd signed up. He got the offer to work on Poltergeist. Went to his agent, said, "I want to do this," and he said, "Well, you can't. You're already signed up for Halloween too." I can't do another piece of shit. Yeah, but the upside to that is he did get to do um, Jurassic Park years later, so mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, I know Poltergeist isn't directed by Spielberg technically. Uh, yeah, yeah, but he did get to work with him eventually. Um, but the whole Carpenter thing was he got sued by Erwin Yablans before production even began. A friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy who gave him this big break. Um, he kind of, Yablans sort of secured a verbal agreement to make The Fog and Halloween 2 with Carpenter. And then he was on a flight coming back from the Cannes Film Festival, was Yablans. Mm -hmm. And on the flight was Bob Ramey, I think his name is, who's the head of Avco Embassy. And um, he let slip to him that, um, oh, John's going to do these two movies with me. He's verbally agreed to them. And Bob Ramey, obviously, when he landed, he thought, well, hang on a minute. He hasn't actually signed him up yet. So he went and signed Carpenter up to make The Fog and Escape from New York. So Carpenter just wasn't available. So he sued the two of them. And the upshot of it was that Carpenter could make The Fog and then had to immediately start on the script for Halloween 2 straight afterwards. Um and that everything kind of harmoniously-ish worked out. But, yeah, Carpenter really didn't want to get involved in this film whatsoever. The only reason he got involved with it was because he was owed money from the first movie, and in order to secure that, he had to make or be involved with Halloween too. 
you know, it's it's. You mean to tell me that Hollywood has a lot of backroom dealing? <laughs> it's a messy old process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't but, know uh, where that money went. If they didn't pay Carpenter properly, where the hell did that, you know, what was it, $70 million in 1978 go? Um, man. <laughs> I wonder where, but, yeah, where did it go with John? If I see him at a convention, I got to ask him, what'd you do with the $70 million? <laughs> yeah. like, I don't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> Pay me with your signature for the Mustafa. signature. Get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. He got but, his hands on it. But, you know, Rick did a good job, I think, directing what he did with this movie. But could you imagine this movie being directed with David Lynch's uh, visual aspect of movie making? Yeah, that's... A, a, now, this, is, this was reported by the LA Times that David Lynch, fresh off the back of Eraserhead and Elephant Man... Uh, that would have been like, I think Elephant Man was 1980, wasn't it? Razorhead's um, fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I like the Elephant Man. I think I think it's fantastic. And a Razorhead is just kind of just oh. mental, isn't it? I, I, I love, uh, you know, it's it's a shame. And, and ladies and gentlemen, just excuse us for a moment here while we talk about Elephant Man. Um, there's, do you know that that lost for special effects to Raging Bull? Wow. Well, that that is um, for a makeup. Travesty. You mean it'd be for makeup, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a travesty, it is, isn't it? Because because and both films were were filmed in black and white because the makeup was so heavy mm-hmm. um, that it came across better that way. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is. I mean, Elephant Man's such a amazing drama, amazing film, and pretty kind of linear for david lynch do you know what i mean it's not too wacky like a lot of his stuff is mm-hmm. um you know Eraserhead's just nuts <laughs> nuts that mad noise all the time that kind of industrial in the background all the time mm-hmm. it's just insane but i couldn't imagine him directing a halloween film at all I mean, he's only going to do it for the money, isn't he? Oh, yeah. You know, there's nothing creative there that he can sink his teeth into. No, um, no. And nobody really knows how far into the kind of process of of actually, you know, uh, uh, getting the gig he was. It was just reported by the LA Times at one stage that he was an early contender for, um, for, for Halloween too. But part of me wants to see that. A kind of sick part of me. <laughs> I wonder what he would have done with your hot tub scene. <laughs> put eyeballs in it. Yeah, yeah, put, put eyeballs in it. Have someone with a long, tall head walk in from the background. <laughs> we need we, we need a giraffe butler. <laughs> <laughs> Just flopping his head around. <laughs> Everyone's made out of jelly. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Slithers in. We can go on and on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, that was that was the, that was what was being put around at the time, and it's kind of, I guess, good that he didn't direct it. I think. Yeah, yeah, and we know that the opening to this movie is iconic. Uh, the credits, at least, um, and then you know your favorite uh, part is always when we are introduced to, you know, uh, Sam Loomis again, Doctor Loomis, changing coats mid stairs down <laughs> to the lawn. And, uh, are you, are you going to make me talk about lapels now? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm actually going to get to the opening. Okay. Uh, that was supposed to be changed. Laurie was actually supposed to be dead. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there was a few different um, ideas at script stage, which which were kind of odd. Laurie was initially going to be dead at the start of Halloween 2, and new characters would be introduced, because uh, they felt that Jamie Lee Curtis had sort of matured too much over the three years, and the audience would have kind of tr- would have trouble believing that she was a high school student. Um, however, she became a kind of scream queen in 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 between nine in you know the original Halloween and Halloween two. So she had the likes of Prom Night, The Fog, Terror Train, Road Games. And they realised that you know she's actually an asset for us to um, to have in this film, so they kind of actually did away with the idea. There, when she didn't have as many as much dialogue in this movie as she did in Resurrection. <laughs> yeah, she barely speaks in it, doesn't she? She says Coke. Yeah, yeah. Coke. She doesn't. She she doesn't ask where Tommy, Lindsay, what happened. You know, she. I know she knows that her three friends are dead. But she doesn't question Tommy or Lindsay. What, what you know? Did they get away safely? Um, you'd think that that would be going around in her head. <laughs> yeah. Other than, can I get a coke? <laughs> Please don't let me put him to sleep. Please don't. Jimmy, with a drunk doctor jacking you up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember the TV cut where he's just, he's sitting there with the deleted scene. He's sitting there worried if he gave her too much uh, fucking sedative. Yeah, yeah, I think I gave her enough. <laughs> oh my head hurts. <laughs> Nurse, bloody Mary, please. <laughs> oh, Initially, the at, at the script stage as well. The the um, the opening sequence was going to have. Um, two kids entering the Doyle house whilst hearing a scuffle upstairs. So basically the kids were trick-or-treating. The door was open. They walk into the door, look up the stairs, and they see Loomis shooting Michael, and then he drops to the floor behind them, which I kind of like that idea. I think that would have been quite creepy, seeing it from a different angle. And then, of course, having Loomis run out with uh, the wrong jacket on, as I point out quite a lot. Pushing the kids out of the way. (laughs) Move your pains in the asses. Get out of here. (laughs) Go, get out. You too. (laughs) Just shooting up the house. (laughs) Shooting the kids. Get out. Yeah, you never see him reload. No. It's it's like the infinity bullet uh, for uh, for, uh, N64's GoldenEye. (laughs) Never reload feature. Yeah. I guess they would have realized that had that have happened, the kids would have seen Michael get away. Mm-hmm. Um, so that idea was kind of scrapped. Um, but I thought it was, you know, it was it was never shot. It was always a kind of early script that that, that happened. Um, but interesting. I'd like to have seen that kind of different angle to things. It's sort of Back to the Future 2-ish, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, how would you feel, though, if this movie was set... Uh, with Laurie at college, because it was almost. Yeah, that was. I think that was one of the early ideas as well. Is that they were going to have her in college and have the sh- the, the shape stalk her through all the dorm rooms and everything. Now, Dan, um, we, really quick, we all know when it goes into college, into dorm rooms, the opening into any eighty slasher is always, you know, women sudsing themselves up in the beginning, in these <laughs> in these washrooms after volleyball practice. 
Yeah. Was this going to be like the same thing, like that type of college yeah. setting? I have no idea if this was kind of sort of veering into Porky's territory or something like the that. Beginning I'm, to blow out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or police academy, even. Yeah. You know, um, I I don't know. I it was. I think it, I think they felt it was it was too close to a lot of the other slashes that were coming out around that time, and so they then looked at a different idea, which I think a lot most people know about, which was. Uh, the the Michael Stalking Laurie and uh, this would be set a few years later, uh, and Michael Stalking Laurie in an apartment block where she's she's living, where she's moved away from Haddonfield, um, and then that idea was canned because Carpenter felt that it was too similar to Someone's Watching Me, which was his kind of TV movie from the late seventies, which has a lot of kind of Halloween vibes within it, so. Yeah, they did away with that as well. So I kind of went through all sorts of development processes that I think he only really sorted out when he opened a six-pack and started writing at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Mm. You know, there, there's a lot of deleted things in here. Like the idea of Laurie going to college was was basically they, they toyed with the notion. But there was a deleted scene that we were talking about privately that was partially filmed. And yes. that was with Dana Carvey, as we as we later know, of uh, Wayne's World fame, um, hmm. is in is in this movie, and also the um, I forgot the act the actor who plays the reporter, um, but she was also going to meet her, the, her demise for being nosy. Yeah. She so the the character is is the girl the producer girl who's outside the Doyle house in the street <laughs> talking to Dana Carvey. The action then flips to, I think, Laurie coming out of the house. Oh, Annie coming out of the house. Brackett realizing that uh, his daughter's dead. And then you get a sequence where Hunt and Loomis are chatting together. And if you notice, she's kind of listening in the background about where they've taken her and what's going on and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she just, she tells Dana Carvey to meet her at the hospital to try and get a statement from Laurie. Um, she says she doesn't go in the in the TV production wa- wagon. She goes in her own car. Michael, before she gets in the car, lets the tires down or one of the tires down on the car and gets into the trunk. Uh, she then goes down the road, realizes that she's got a, a flat tire, pulls over, gets out, and a truck driver comes by to offer some help. Who's played by Rick Rosenthal? He's kind of dressed up, you know, in a redneck way and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Offers her some help. She kind of gets creeped out by this, gets back into the car so that Michael can't get out of the car at that stage because he doesn't want to be confronted by two people, I guess. Um, carries on down the road, stops again. And as she goes around to the trunk, Michael gets out and slits her throat. He then drives all the way to... Um, to, to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital and leaves the car in the car park. When Dana Carvey and his mob get to the Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, they see the car, realise that she must be inside the hospital, go into the hospital and start hassling Laurie. Mrs. Alves turns up, kicks the, the, the crew out onto the street. Laurie's then really freaked out because she's she started to come round from the sedation now realizing that Michael is still alive because obviously mm-hmm. he disappeared from the window and she she has an absolute you know freak out moment 
The doctor then sedates her once again. And that's why you have that scene later on where Laurie is lying on the bed and Jimmy comes in and he can't wake her up. She's like in a trance. She's sedated. And so because they removed that whole kind of subplot, it it leaves a gaping plot hole in the film as to what's wrong with Laurie when she's lying on the bed. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so... It, and according to Rick Rosenthal that sequence was actually was partially filmed now i don't know how much of it was filmed or if it still exists yeah yeah or if it still exists somewhere but there's a obviously there's a there's another murder there that's um that's included and the whole subplot of michael getting from haddonfield to haddonfield memorial hospital so what carpenter had to do was he had to go in and fix the film and shoot this scene where Michael bumps into the guy with a boombox and hears on the radio that she's at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital and that's when he walks across town and goes there. But um, yeah, an interesting chunk of the movie that was kind of removed um, and something I'd probably I'd like to see at some stage if it does still exist or whatever's left, whatever was shot of it. Did Michael fix the tire? <laughs> I t- that's a good question that's another plot hole that maybe happened <laughs> you need jacking the car up and <laughs> yeah or if he's in the trunk and she just didn't open it and you hear him go um this didn't work out as much as i planned i can't breathe can you let me out I promise I won't stop you. I'll even help you change the tire. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what's going on. It's too dark. <laughs> Is there anyone there? <laughs> there I, I wonder if they have the emergency pull cord. If you get stuck in the back, you pull the cord and the trunk opens up. Yeah, I don't think they had that in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I didn't know they had that now. <laughs> And I also wonder whether the Rick Rosenthal character was um, was like Large Marge, <laughs> oh. or if he he, he pulled up uh, on her, came out, and he was pulling up his pants and buckling. He may, I mean, she would accept. Maybe I would think a little bit of a hand, no pun intended, uh, yeah. help out. But I guess she was freaked out with all the story of Michael still being on the loose. She doesn't know who Michael looks like, and. You know, that whole mask thing never came out. Is he just the... Mm. Uh, nobody knew uh, what he looked like. Uh, apparently, they didn't know what he looked like in Kills fucking either, even though he was on the... <laughs> him on and Tivoli were... You know, like, yeah, on the, on the fucking TV. We don't know what he looks like, Glory. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plot hole right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we do know that in, the, in some of the cuts that the power does go out. We know mm. that probably Michael probably did it. Yeah, well, that that was also included as well. So there was the other plot hole that was that that kind of appears from them removing this sequence of Laurie being sedated again is that when she's sedated, Michael kills the power, and so that explains why uh, the the whole hospital is so dimly lit throughout the movie. Um, because Mister Garrett just goes to check on the phones, doesn't he? He, he doesn't go to check on the power. And the um, and the, with the cat, he goes to check on the cat, doesn't he? But the, um, <laughs> but the, yeah, that the, there was the, there's still a bunch of plot holes in this movie anyway. But things I can sort of just overlook, you know. I, I like the fact that there's where's all the patients in the hospital? 
Laurie seems to be the only patient. You know, the fucking great big hospital. And, and the two babies. And the two babies. That's it. Yeah. And that's it. Just just Laurie and a couple of babies. Um, where are those babies? Where, where are the, where the, the rest hospital? of the patients? Doesn't anybody get ill in Haddonfield? It looks like the place was set on fire at the end of H, uh, H2. You know, <laughs> the, the, the kid's still in there? What the hell's going on? Yeah, no, yeah, nobody talks about that, do they? Like they talk about how many how many people have supposedly died, but you know, every time I total it up, it doesn't match what they have, and I just wonder whether this the number that they're referring to includes the the, the TV producer who was had her throat slit, um, or did but, he go into any other room? Did he just open up the door and see if it was Lori? Mm. No, and then he just closes the door, and then or did he just walk into like say like a patient taking a depository? You know, a depository yeah it, a, a suppository same thing <laughs> you're depositing <laughs> something or using the bedpan he's just like <laughs> he just <laughs> you know I, I i'm thinking he's like uh he went into everybody's room like harrison ford did at the beginning of uh fugitive where he's changing yeah. his hair and eating everybody's eggs <laughs> <laughs> michael just <laughs> well they did an early test screening of Rosenthal's first cut, and Carpenter was sat in there, and he he likened it to a an episode of Quincy. Oh Christ! But <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, gave Rosenthal a bunch of notes uh, to go away and work on the movie a little bit more. He went away, worked on the film, and a second screening happened, which was equally as bad. Um, and then at that stage, the studio had Carpenter intervene. He he cut a load of scenes, re-edited a lot of the scenes, and he also ordered three days of reshoots to shoot more gore and suspense. Now, this is nothing to do with the TV cut or anything like that. This was totally separate. The TV cut came after. Um, and among the feedback from the test screenings was, at no point does the shape kill a teenager, a young person at all. And so that's why he just randomly inserts that scene where the shape walks into Alice's house and does he stab her in the neck or something? I'm not quite sure what he does, whether it's in the chest or the neck or or what. Just but yeah, it's just random. It's just like he's he's killing people who are getting in his way normally. Well, she was just on the on the phone to her mate. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a kind she, of was she outside? And Michael saw her and said, you know what, maybe I'll, I hope this is, this is the way it should have been. I, I, he used it to throw them off mm. that killing. So we got Mrs. Um, we got, uh, oh, Mrs. Elrod, uh, yeah. screaming, um, mm. cause she's been beaten by a ham sandwich. Uh, <laughs> and then we have, uh, Alice getting stabbed. So you have the investigation concentrating on just that area. Cause yeah. Michael is that smart to throw people off. Yeah, yeah. I like to believe that, even though it's probably not really what was intended. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just a, it's a kind of random moment, isn't it? And it was only yeah. added in there to to increase the level of gore, which there isn't a great deal of. You know, it's just a splat, isn't it? But also to 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 continue the theme of him killing teenagers. But there was going to be a gory part that probably would have made me upset. Let's talk about that flashback of Laurie. Uh, with her parents in the car. Yeah, this is bizarre. And this obviously was 
was filmed at some stage. This is yeah, this is this is definitely like some sort of Argento nonsense. <laughs> um so there's there's the flashbacks that we get whereas Laurie's talking to her mum while the mum's kind of hanging the washing out uh, and, and saying, why, why won't you tell me anything? Um, and, and, and finds out that she's essentially adopted uh, mm-hmm. and that Michael's her brother. There's all those kind of little intercut scenes that they do. Um, but there was also a scene which this really blows my mind. I've, I'd, I would love to see this to see how it worked out. But apparently Laurie as a kid, sat in the back seat of the family car, clutching a doll, which, if you remember, she does have a doll in some scenes, mm-hmm. doesn't she, as a kid? And her parents are sat in the front, and their their eyes are without pupils, so they've just got white eyes, and blood is streaming down their cheeks from their eyes. Mm. And then, and there's obviously, there's, there's some backwards and forwards going on about, about Laurie and who she is, and what the deal is, and who Michael is and all this kind of thing. Um, so, and then doll starts to bleed from its mouth as well, that she's holding. Um, and the, from the book, the great book taking shape where we're getting a lot of this information from, they claim that the scene was, 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 was probably filmed. Um, because in the end credits, Dennis Hollihan is listed as Laurie's father. Mm-hmm. And he does not appear anywhere else in the movie, um, and so the, the the I think the idea is that this sequence was filmed but never used, um, and it must have been if if he was credited in the film. Um, it's bizarre. It really is. It's a, it's an interesting scene. I'd like to have seen it. And I I, I was and they, the Taking Shape guys didn't claim this, but I was just thinking whether it was foreshadowing what is likely to happen towards the end of the movie with Michael getting shot in the eyes. Um, the idea maybe to shoot him. Yeah, yeah. Well, people have always argued, is he shot in the eye? And, you know, Or was he shot in the head somewhere? And that's where the blood's coming down. It's just blinding him. Because mm-hmm. um, you can see his eyes. You can see his eyes, and there's no bullet holes Above I don't have his him standing eyes. up because <laughs> I would be able to look at him. Uh, well, you, you've got H two Michael there. Where is he? He's he's in the closet. <laughs> Can you put Kelly in the closet and get him no, out? No, how dare you? <laughs> so yeah, so so the thing is that the final cut of the movie that we see in in that we saw in theaters and on 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 VHS and and Blu ray and all the rest of it. Rosenthal has gone on record saying that it's not the version of the film that he made. It's still good. It's still, it's it still is, a good movie. It is still good. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy it. But he, I think he, he's not saying the film that was released is uh, is bad. I think he was just kind of being honest and saying, look, you know, it's not my version of the film. Um, my my take on things was, was different. Um, but obviously you know carpenter was sent in to rescue the whole project and and is responsible for a lot more on screen that i think he takes credit for mm-hmm. so and i think that's why a lot of the time he kind of plays it down and says that he's not happy with the film and it was i think he described it as an abomination at one stage oh i don't think it's that bad it really isn't that bad one of the greatest fire stunts of all time yeah yeah 
that is just and we 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 kind of go on about this so much about the fire stunt it is just unbelievable the best today, looking nurses anywhere in the world in that hospital <laughs> all of them yeah and that's not true about nurses at all i've been in hospital a few times and it's never like haddonfield memorial hospital no you know, it's even Mrs. Uh, even even Mrs. Alvis, you're just like, yeah, she's into some S and M. I know she is. She's so mean and everything. Oh, it is. It's more me. like a carry on film when I go in hospital. Um, <laughs> our British support, our British subscribers will know exactly what I mean by that. But um, yeah, it's. Um, I like the film a lot. I do, yeah. and I've, I've had a lot of fun kind of finding out more about it today. A lot of this stuff here, I really didn't know about, and there are some. You know, there are a lot of obvious um, things that we know about Halloween too, like um, Dana Carvey's appearance in there, mm-hmm. like um, the fact that at the start of the movie they kind of reshot the stunt and Dick Warlock going backwards up the ramp and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's all for safety it, issues. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we all we know about these little bits and bats, but some of this stuff here. I, I really had no idea about, and I found it really... And I hope some of you guys had not heard of some of this. I know we've had people that have kind of chiming in saying, I've read Taking Shape and I knew all about this. Well, you know, that's great. And we're really pleased that you watched the episode. I've read the book, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm going to give these guys a plug because the book is absolutely fantastic. Taking Shape, and it's by Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins, um, available on Amazon. Uh, so give it a read, guys. It's, there's some fascinating stuff in there. And actually, give it a read after we've done these episodes. That's probably the best thing to do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably the, the definitive book on Halloween. Mm, yeah. The whole series. And plus, Taking Shape 2 is just as thick. Yeah, it's, it's even thicker as Taking Shape 2. And we will we will get to the, some of the stuff in that Use pretty soon. this to crush bugs. That's how big this book is. <laughs> well, Darren, I gotta ask My you. My wife one. uses it to get to the top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> I use it for the kids in their high chair to sit <laughs> or to spank their ass. Um, <laughs> or have someone spank my ass. <laughs> he is joking there, folks. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. I would, I would never do that to my kids. Um, I could show you bruises from either or. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go, I gotta I gotta ask you something as the man as a man who's in this line of work. Why does it seem like the Halloween franchise is so poorly pissed about with production and getting everything written from you know paper to pe- from pen to paper to screen? It, it seems like this thing is just all over the place. No one likes working on it. I mean, why is it? What is it about this franchise that the fans absolutely love, but the crew and the actors and the the, the production they all hate it? Yeah, what I is think, it about it? I think with this particular film, I think that um, whereas there was a real kind of camaraderie about making Halloween, there were, it was all friends having fun making a movie, an idea, an original and, idea, yeah, exactly, and they all loved doing it and everybody chipped in with everything um and you know the success of the film made it such a pleasurable experience when it comes to halloween 2 
they had and Erwin Yablans talks about this he says he, it was it was a nightmare and he wished he'd never done it so they basically had um the Accards they had John Carpenter they had Erwin they had Dino De Laurentiis uh, and they had Universal so they mm. had kind of like five parties <laughs> with an interest story. Yeah, yeah, they had five parties with an interest in this that nobody could agree on anything. And I think that in the end, it, it it was such a nightmare to pull together. And that's probably the reason why that it wasn't made until 1981 is because there was probably so many false starts with this with, with regards to different ideas for the script and then, you know, different plots altogether. Um, it, I think, just made everybody miserable. It really did. Uh, no, like I said before, nobody liked the script. Not even Jamie Lee Curtis or anyone. Um, it, it's 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 a shame because in the end, I think it turns out it turned out okay. I really mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. I really do. It's it's a shame they don't have fonder memories of it. I think it was just a a, a bit of a nightmare to make. Um, not nothing like the original movie and the kind of the sort of family feel that came from pulling that production together. Do you think there was too many cooks in the kitchen with Dino and mm, Universal yeah. and the Akkads? Yeah. I, you, yeah. I would think Dino and Mustafa would not get it, uh, would get along. Oh, uh, he does mention that. He said he wished he did never have got these guys on board. They, they, they came on, Dino De Laurentiis and his group came on board for two films, part two and part three. Um, and he just said it, it, he, he wishes that that had never have happened because, as you said, too many cooks were spoiling the broth. At least with, with them, you know, there's so many ingredients into this movie. At least it came out with a, like you said, with a palpable taste. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess agree. a happy accident? Yeah. Well, it's not even I that, think so. Uh, I think so. It, you know, it's, it, um, I think it's on the top of everybody's, you know, top Sequel three list. Yeah. 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 You know, of course, my favorite will always be uh, number four. I'm not saying number two is not a good movie. I think it's a great movie, um, and I love part two. I think it would be, for me, it would go four, one, two. Mm. But I know that part two is a better made film over four. Yeah, you have to admit that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's fa- there's favorites and there's best. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, part two is over four, and one is the de- one's the king, one's mm. the king over all of them. Sure. Well, that's it. You know, that's it. ladies and gentlemen, as as always, we want to thank you for watching this video and please comment, put your own little trivia that uh about Halloween 2 that we may not have known about. We'd like to hear some of it or even add into uh, what Darren was talking about through uh, the Taken Shape book um that you find interesting. We like to hear about it because let's let's all admit it. Halloween Ends is going to be the last movie. Hmm. And when all these channels are out there talking about Halloween, what else is there to talk about? Rehashing up old Halloween <laughs> trivia. You know, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, or making up some more bullshit. <laughs> no, it's, rankings, it, uh, like best knives, Darren, right? We got a best <laughs> knives used in Halloween movies. Coming I'm out. not sure we'll go that far. Oh, okay. <laughs> best knives. Um, no, I think it's fun to look at these things and it's something different that I don't think a lot of people are doing. So it's kind of nice to find something a little bit unique. Um, 
Also, you know, let us know if you want us to do Halloween 3, because Frank and I are huge fans of Halloween 3. And we are coming up to the 40th anniversary in September of Halloween 3. Mm -hmm. So I think it could be time for another watch-along, Frank. We did this once before on an audio podcast, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Check that out, guys, because you will never hear the slaughtered lamb behave like that again, I don't think. But um, it was a lot of fun. No, no, no. But we should do something in September to celebrate Halloween 3. But Mm. I think we will. Maybe what we'll do is we'll skip to Halloween 4 next and then bring out the Halloween 3 episode nearer the 40th anniversary. That could be... uh, that could be interesting. And talk about the trivia as you know as the movie progresses. I yeah. agree. I yeah. think that'll be fun. And yeah. I will have water. <laughs> Not a <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels in the first fifteen Jim minutes Bean. of the movie. Jim, Jim Bean. Bean. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Same thing. There is a difference. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, as we go through our liquor cabinet, as always, <laughs> stick to the roads. And the best of luck. See you then. Bye. Bye.